If you think about it, our lives are the sum total of the decisions that we make. About the time of what psychologists would call the age of accountability, when when we begin to be accountable for the decisions that we make, our lives are increasingly directed by the decisions we make. Sometimes this is around 11 or 12, sometimes this is a little later, uh, that people stop seeing the course of their life directed by parents or other authority figures and start being accountable for their decisions. And from that point forward, our lives are the total or the sum total of the decisions we make. So in middle school and high school, if we decide to be a good student or we decide to devote ourselves to athletics or in the best case scenario, maybe both, student and studies and extracurricular activities that will open doors for us later in life, that will create opportunities for us later in life. Instead, we devote ourselves to video games and a fledgling YouTube channel or something like that. That will determine some of the opportunities that are available to us later in life. And, And then as we move through things like college and the decisions we make about what we're going to study, if we're going to go, where we're going to go, are we going to stay close, are we going to go on a budget, are we going to go far away, are we going to go to an Ivy League school and spend a lot of money, are we going to graduate with debt or not with debt, are we going to marry young, are we going to wait to get married, when we get married, are we going to have kids right away, are we going to wait to have kids, all sorts of decisions happen that set a trajectory and lead to other decisions that happen. Are we going to move? Are we going to take that job? Are we going to stay where we are? Are we going to answer a call to ministry or find a way to, to stay, you know, in our current field and, and do ministry through our local church? Are we going to change churches? Are we going to stay in churches? Are we going to move closer to the grandkids? What are we going to do? All the decisions that we make are really important. And I remember when Heather and I were right in that pivotal moment of making decisions, a lot of decisions. We, I think, I was trying to trace this back, I think we either were pregnant with Keaton or had just had Keaton. We were in a small group, and we did a small group study from Andy Stanley called Discovering God's Will. And there was a teaching in there where he began the teaching. The first words out of his mouth in the first session were, Your life is the sum total of the decisions you make. And something resonated with me very deeply, and I see a smile on her face. I think she remembers this Bible study. I think she remembers that community group. I think she remembers this study from Andy Stanley called Discovering God's Will. And I think it was done in the early 2000s. He had really big khaki pants on before, you know, preachers started wearing jeans and then tighter jeans and now a little bit looser jeans, which I'm thankful for. Um... And he even had enough hair to part his hair, which that's not the case anymore if you follow Andy Stanley. Um, but we did this Sunday, or this, this small group study, and it had terrible graphics, and it was really kind of weird. It was like Egyptian hieroglyphics as you fly in and you're discovering God's will. But I tell you what, the teaching was solid gold. It was so pivotal. I can still remember really clearly a number of points from that teaching that have been super impactful because in that first teaching he brought Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to the forefront of our decision-making process. 
and it's been there ever since. And I wouldn't say I hadn't heard Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 at that point. I'm sure I'd heard it many times. But to see it as a lens for making decisions and to then begin to apply God's Word to that area of our lives in a very practical and applicable way, that was a new thing for us. And it has been so profound. In fact, I was like, I know I carried those notes in my ESV study Bible that I took to all my Sunday school classes and all my community groups and took to church for years. And I had one of those cases, you know, that you could zip. And, uh, and I know it got so thick at one point that I could barely zip it, so I took a bunch of them out and put them in a folder. I found these notes just like that. They were the second thing in that folder because I've gotten these out dozens of times and looked over the notes and looked over the, the sessions and especially when big decisions were needing to be made shortly after that, we would go back to this. And so as we continue our series on the blessings of wisdom, as we continue to do a deep dive into Proverbs chapter 3, especially that first half, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 today, and we're going to be talking about decision-making. Because if our lives are the sum total of the decisions we make, and God loves us and wants us to have our best life, He wants us to make good decisions, And he has told us in numerous places in his word how we can make good decisions. And perhaps none is clearer than Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. So last week we talked about blessed relationships. Next week we'll be talking about blessed finances. Come anyway, okay? Come anyway, yes. The preacher's going to be talking about money. I probably shouldn't have mentioned that. But come anyway because you want blessed finances, right? Nobody wants blessed finances. Never mind. Maybe take next Sunday off. No, no. Don't take next Sunday off. God wants your finances to be blessed. And he tells us exactly how. And so today we're going to be looking, as we continue this pattern that we see early in Proverbs and throughout Proverbs, and we see very clearly in the passage that we've been focused on, of an exhortation to wise action, and then a blessing that we can expect if we are obedient to that exhortation. So, So we're talking about blessed decisions. We're focusing on Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, also 7 and 8. And before we get there, I just have to tell you this funny story. It's one of my favorite stories um, that uh, came from a friend of mine who was another community group leader, not the group that studied this. Um, But he said when he was in college, he was a pre-med major, and he had to take some Bible courses because he had gone to a Christian university. And so he gets to his first Bible course, and the first day, the teacher gave him a sheet said, I'd just like to get to know a little bit about you. And so fill the sheet out. And there was, you know, where were you from and those types of things. One of the last questions was, what's your favorite Bible verse and why? And he was running out of time. So he just kind of quickly wrote down Proverbs 5, 3 through 6, because it sets the course for my entire life. Not bad until he gets the sheet back and the professor had written wow, really, question mark, that's a first, he thought, how could, how could that, you know, he's thinking Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, how could that possibly be the first time he's ever seen that, and why is he surprised? So he looks up Proverbs 5, 3, and some of you are already there, and you're giggling already, Proverbs 5, 3 says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, 
And you think, oh no, now I've got to make an appointment with my professor, go in and explain what happened. Of course, the professor knew what had happened, and uh, they had a good laugh. And I always think of that when I study or when I preach on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Perhaps now you will also. Um, so let's read Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 again. We've been looking at this passage each week, and we're going to continue to do that because if you could get really familiar with this passage and apply it to every area of your life, you'd have a blessed life, and that's kind of the point. So here's Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. My son, and you could look at that as a parent addressing their adult or their male child, or you could look at that as your heavenly father addressing all of his children. God saying, please, listen to me, my son, my daughter, my child. Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be full to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. And so as I said, we're going to be focusing on verses 5 through 8 today. But before we get there, I want to share with you one of the central teachings of this small group study that was really formative for our lives and our decision making going forward as we sought to discover God's will as we were making decisions. And, And Andy Stanley presented this and called it the three wills of God. The three wills of God. You may want to take some notes. This will be on the screen. The first will of God, he explained, is the providential will of God. The providential will of God. These are the things that God does because he's God, because he's sovereign, and because he's good, and he's all-knowing, and he's all-present in all places at all times. He is God. He is sovereign. He has a will, a providential will, and these are the things that we would account as providence. So as you read your Bible and you see God creating, speaking things into being in Genesis and doing things throughout the Old Testament as His divine initiative, these would be the providential will of God. These are the things that God does because God is God. Another great passage for this is is Galatians 4, 4 and 5. It says, In the fullness of time, God brought forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So God's providential will was that those under the law would be redeemed. So he acted. He sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That's a great example. A New Testament passage speaking about the providential will of God. Now the second will of God is the moral will of God. The thou shalt's. Thou shalt not. The do's and the don'ts. The Ten Commandments. The rest of the Mosaic Law. The times when God speaks specifically to a group of people through a prophet and says, you're doing this. Stop it. <laughs> do this instead. These are parts of the moral will of God. That, that there is a biblical morality 
that informs our lives, that tells us how God expects us to act, how God expects us to treat each other, to treat ourselves, to treat Him. God has a moral will, and He expects us to follow it. And so the third will of God is God's personal will for your life. God has a personal will for your life, for you, for the decisions you make. And, and the way this works is that the providential will of God and the moral will of God create sort of a guardrail for us. And I've asked a couple of people to come up and help me to illustrate this, to illustrate how this works. And so, Sarah, if you would come up. Dalton, if you would come up. Uh, Sarah, you might remember, is, uh, is spouse to, wife to uh, Ryan, our resident, who started several months ago. Um, and so she's going to help out. Dalton's going to come up and help out. Sarah, why don't you come right over here and then just kind of stand like this. So turn your body and put your arms out. Dalton's relatively new. You're going to face me. And you're going to stand the same way and put your arms out wide, okay? So in this illustration, not commenting on morality or providence, but Dalton's going to be the providential will of God, okay? Because this is really fixed and firm. And Sarah's going to be the moral will of God, all right? And they're going to provide guardrails for God's personal will for my life, right? So as I'm trying to make a decision, as I'm trying to think through some options... It's going to help me if I understand some things about the providential will of God, the things God is going to do because God is going to do them. Now, I can try to fight against this, but it's not going to work. It's not going to work, right? Like, God's providential will is fixed. It's not going to change. So I can beat my head against it, but God's going to do the things that God is going to do. On the moral will of side... She's a little bit shorter, and I can get around her. I can step outside of God's moral will, but that will never, ever, ever be His personal will for my life. His personal will for my life will never lead me outside of His moral will. And His personal will for my life will never lead me outside of His providential will. And so you can see how these start to create some guardrails. In fact, I think the graphics and the video and the pants were so bad in that original series that they had taped, and people loved the teaching so much that he actually repackaged this whole content as a series and a teaching called Guardrails. Same content, same idea. If you stick around long enough and I stick around long enough, you'll probably see some of my sermon series repackaged with a new name and a new, you know, graphics, but same content because... We don't have a problem with knowing, we have a problem with doing, and we need to be reminded. So let's give them a round of applause. Thank you so much for being the moral will and providential will of God. I hope that clarifies the relationship between those three wills, between the providential will of God and the moral will of God, and that our personal will, His personal will for our lives will never go outside of either one of those, okay? In fact, You could summarize it this way. The more familiar you are with the providential will of God, the things God does because He's God, and the more obedient you are to the moral will of God, you got to know it so you can do it, but the more obedient you are to the moral will of God, the easier it will be for you to discover God's personal will for your life. 
you'll understand how he acts in the world, how he has acted since the beginning of time, that there is consistency and integrity in the providential will of God. And the better you understand and are obedient to the moral will of God, the clearer his personal will for your life will be, and the easier it will be for you to discover that and to walk that out. So you got to know the providential will, you got to do the moral will, and then you pray for and discover his personal will for your life. This was a game changer for us. And obviously there's ways to do this. I don't think there's any better than reading your Bible on a regular basis. As you read your Bible on a regular basis, as you read Old Testament and New Testament, as you read footnotes at the bottom when something doesn't make sense, as you gather with other believers that are reading the same things and you discuss that and you interact with that and you see how it spoke to them or a circumstance in their life that that intersected with and they share that and now it becomes clear, you start to understand the providential will of God better, and you start to know and be able to do the moral will of God better. And then you trust. You trust God's providential will. You don't try to butt up against it. You do His moral will, and His personal will for your life becomes increasingly clear. So let's look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 with that in mind. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Now Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of the most famous verses. I've seen it as the most famous verse in the Old Testament a number of times. If you were to go down to Crossroads this week, I bet you a nickel you would be able to find more than one thing that had Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it's famous for a reason. It's well-known and well-loved for a reason. It's on people's walls for a reason. This is pure gold for all of life. This is pure gold for decision-making in particular. And so, just as we have seen each week, there is an exhortation, in this case three parts, just like last week, three parts of exhortation, three do this, and then one blessing that we can expect, that we can trust in God to provide if we do those three exhortations. So let's break this down phrase by phrase. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's His providential will. Trust in Him. Trust in Him with all your heart. To trust means to rely upon, to cling to, to have confidence in. Have confidence in God's goodness. Have confidence in God's sovereignty. Have confidence in God's ability to direct your life, to direct the affairs of this world. Trust in His mind and His heart and His character. And do that with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your will, with all of your self, your inner self. That's really what the heart represented in the Hebrew language. And so, with all your soul, this is very directional. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not most of your heart, not a lot of your heart, not most or some or more than the guy next to you, but all your heart. Trust, believe, have confidence in the Lord with all your heart. Then, lean not on your own understanding. There's always going to be a tension between trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning on your own understanding. 
leaning on Facebook wisdom, Googling it and see what Google has to say about it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart is going to be in tension with leaning on your own understanding. There's a contrast there. There's a constant tension between my finite understanding of the world and the way the world works and God's infinite understanding of the world and the way the world works and His revelation of that to me through Scripture. In fact, the God's Word translation of this, which is not a translation I use very often, but it's one Rick Warren uses, and I remember him talking about this verse one time, and he used the God's Word, and I love it. It says, never rely on what you think you know. So for this phrase, it says, lean not on your own understanding. The God's Word translation, a more modern paraphrase, says, don't rely on what you think you know. He's the expert, not me. He's the expert, not you. Don't rely on what you think you know. Rely on what is rock solid because you trust in Him with all your heart. And then the final phrase there of the exhortation portion is in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Now, is that in all your ways on Sunday morning, acknowledge Him? Or is that on all your ways all week long, 24-7, 365? Even on Friday night or Saturday night? If that's your preference, because you're too tired on Friday night. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. All your ways. And ways here means literally a road or a path in the original language. In all your paths, in all your ways, in all the places you go and the things that you do. And that's a perfectly good representation of that word. But there's a figurative illustration, or there's a figurative use of this as well. And that would be in all of your manners, in all of your directions, in all of your decisions. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. And acknowledge is kind of a tough translation. I mean, the word that's being translated there is the Hebrew word yada, Y-A-D-A, and it speaks about the deepest, most intimate knowledge available. So, you know, we can say, oh, I acknowledge that the chairs are gray. That's not quite the same as deeply acknowledging, knowing deeply God in all of our ways. That in all of our ways we would know Him. That we would discover Him, His providential will, His moral will, and we would know that deeply. And I think there's also an element of submitting in that acknowledge. To submit to God in all of our ways. In fact, there's a Hebrew word, Y-A-D-A-H, which means to bow, to fall before, to submit to. I just learned that this week. It kind of blew my mind because I'm preaching about this and I knew Yada, and then I see Yada with an H and it's, a, it's an extension of deep knowledge. To deeply know God is to submit to God. It's to bow before Him. It's to kneel before Him and bring our lives in line with His life. So that's, that's the exhortation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and here's the outcome. Here's the blessing. He will make your paths straight. He will make your ways straight. He will make your decisions straight. And that word straight means smooth. It means right. It can also mean agreeable or pleasing. But it does not say easy. And this is where people get mixed up sometimes. And this is where people walk away because the way, the path, though clear, gets difficult. 
It was crystal clear to us that we needed to go into ministry. It was crystal clear to us that we needed to go to West Virginia and take Southridge Church. That ushered in three of the most difficult years of our life. As we had a church that was thriving and growing and people were getting saved and baptized and called into ministry, and our family was literally crumbling in that culture. There was a mismatch. Things didn't work. We were terribly alone. Even though we were in this thriving church, it was a thriving church made of people that were deeply knit together with their families. And they just didn't do a lot with outsiders. They didn't have a lot of time. And so we just started to crumble in that. And it became crystal clear that we needed to leave that situation. It didn't make it easy to leave that situation. It was crystal clear that we were to come to Sioux Falls to move our family again, to load up the U-Haul again, to find and buy a new house again and get settled into that and to find new doctors and to go get a new driver's license and do all the things. It wasn't easy, but it was crystal clear because we knew God's providential will and we knew God's moral will and we wanted to stay inside that as much as possible. And so I don't want you to think that he will make your paths straight means he will make them easy and safe and comfortable, but he will make them clear and he will make them good. And there is no better example of this than Jesus Christ himself. God made his path straight. God made his path clear. It was not easy. It was the hardest path that any human being has ever had to walk. He sweat great drops of blood as he begged God, is there any other way? Yet not my will, but your personal will. The providential will of God is set on this. The moral will of God is set on this. It's gotten very, very narrow at this point. As he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was crystal clear. It was straight. It was good and it was right, but it was not easy. And yet, Isaiah 53, 11 tells us as it prophesied what would happen to the suffering servant, as it prophesied what would happen to Jesus, It says, he will see the results of his agony and be satisfied. He will see the results of his suffering and he will be satisfied. You know what the results of his suffering are? Every redeemed believer from that point forward. No wonder he's satisfied. He sees you. He sees me. He sees the people that led you to the Lord. He sees the people you'll lead to the Lord. And he's satisfied. Because the path, though difficult, was right. And he was on the right path. And he was smack in the middle of God's personal will for his life. He will make your path straight. He is the way maker. He makes the way clear. And he will hold you fast. Those songs could not have been better for this morning to reflect upon this. Now, 7 and 8 become a restatement of 5 and 6, in my opinion, because they kind of echo verses 5 and 6. Verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. That sounds an awful lot like the second exhortation. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Pride does not fit into God's personal will for your life. Your pride doesn't fit. Our humility our reverence and awe, our fear of the Lord, which we see in the next phrase, our ability to see ourselves accurately, to see God accurately, to bow before Him, that's all part of His personal will for our lives. But our pride is not. So don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be proud. 
Fear the Lord and shun evil. Those two go hand in hand. We've been talking about fear the Lord almost on a weekly basis. It just kind of worked out that way since the fifth uh, message in, in our previous series, A Firm Foundation. To reverence, to respect, to awe the Lord. When you do that, you will naturally shun evil because there is nothing evil about God. So if you are fearing God, if you are reverencing and obeying God, if you have deep respect for God, if you have submitted yourself to God and to His will for your life, you will be shunning evil because to shun means to turn away from. So by nature, if sin is over here, if evil is over here, and God is over here because they are polar opposites, when I turn to God and I reverence and respect and obey Him, I'm turning away. This is repentance. This is, this is the word picture of repentance. I was going in this direction towards evil, towards sin. I repented. I turned 180 degrees and moved towards God, towards holiness, towards righteousness, towards all that is good and right in the world. And, and so these two go hand in hand, and they really aren't, they cannot be mutually exclusive. We turn away from anything outside of God's moral will. And the outcome or the result that we see in verse 8 is that this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now, it's interesting. Bones are an interesting thing in Hebrew scriptures. Sometimes when somebody's in deep anguish, they'll say, my bones ache. They were very, very physical. The integration of body and soul and spirit was very well linked for them, and so they were recognizing this. And, and so there's a literal sense to this, and it, a literal um, outcome for this. When you make better decisions, you'll have better health. When you make better decisions, you'll have better health. When you make better decisions about what you eat and how often you move and what types of things you do, you will have better health. In fact, I read an article recently that was very, very interesting, and it was making the case that suicide is the number one cause of death in America. And it's not statistically for actual suicide, but the doctor was making the point that people overeat, and they don't exercise, and they do this for an entire life, and they decide to do this, whether they're kind of on autopilot or not. They decide to do this, and then they die of preventable diseases long before they should. Obesity-related, heart disease, they smoke, they drink, they, they do all kinds of terrible things. These are decisions that are made that have a compounding effect. Now, you can argue with the example, But the decisions we make impact the lives we live. And if we choose to sit on the couch and eat potato chips, we're not going to be as healthy as if we choose to exercise and eat some vegetables every now and then. And so you get the point. That's the literal side. But the figurative side as well is that better and blessed decisions lead to a better and blessed life. Better and blessed decisions lead to a better and blessed life. And so emotionally... We can make better decisions. We can deal with our emotions. We can get help when we need it. We can see the counselor, see the therapist, read the book, work it out, and we'll be more healthy emotionally. Just like when we make better decisions with our physical choices, we have better health physically. And the same is true relationally. And the same is true financially. And the same is true in all these different areas of our lives. As we make better and more blessed decisions, we experience better and more blessed health in those areas of our life. So as we bring things to a close, I want to talk about the best decision you can make. Our bottom line today is the best decision you can make is to follow Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, duh. Like, we knew that. We're here, right? Well, not everybody knows that. In fact, I would venture to guess that the 
the tide is turning, the scales are tipping. Not in here, but out there. The culture no longer has a vast majority that would agree and give a hearty amen to that bottom line that the best decision you can make is to follow Jesus, that the wisest, the smartest, the most blessed decision you can make is to follow Jesus. And that will lead to your best life, to follow Jesus through life. Jesus will never lead you outside the providential will of God, and Jesus will never lead you outside of the moral will of God. And this is clearly God's personal will for you, that you would decide to follow Jesus. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9 is one of the clearest statements of this, and it fits so perfectly with our three wills of God framework. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. That's His providential will of God. He decides to be patient. He doesn't have to do that, but He chooses to, not wanting anyone to perish because of their venturing outside the moral will of God. God is patient, not wanting us to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. What's God's personal will for everyone in this room, everyone in the world out there? That they would come to repentance. Are you working with God towards that in your own life? In the life of those you love, in the life of your neighbors and your co-workers? Are you working? God's personal will will always be for people to come to repentance. God's personal will is that people would see the cross, that they would fall in front of the cross, that they would bow before the cross and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and begin to follow Him through life. Follow Him. So His providential will is that He keeps His promise and He's going to be patient. His personal will is that you will repent when you break His moral will, that we'll come back to Jesus, that we'll bring it back to Jesus, that we'll follow Jesus. And He'll make our path straight. And the Holy Spirit will make our path straight. And follow is a really important word in that bottom line, in that statement. Because it's, it's not just get saved and go on with your life. It's not just pray the prayer and go on with your program. Okay? It's to follow Jesus every day, to follow Him, to say, I trust in Jesus with all my heart. I will not lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I will acknowledge, deeply know, and submit to Jesus, and Jesus will make my paths straight. He will make them clear. He will make them good. He will make them pleasing. Not easy. Maybe very, very difficult at times to follow Jesus, but it will always be good. And when you look back over the arc of your life, you will see the results of your suffering and be satisfied. You will see the people that came up out of the waters of baptism because you invited them to church, because you invited them to your discipleship group, because you invited them to your small group, because you shared your faith at a pivotal moment in their lives, and they responded. This all matters. Everything we do matters, and that's why we need to follow Jesus through life, because the best decision you can make is to follow Jesus. It will lead to the best life you can live and to the most fruit for His kingdom. So as we close, I haven't mentioned the altar specifically at the end of a message, but I'm going to today because I sense that the Spirit of God might be drawing some of you forward to, to bow, to kneel, to submit, to, to recommit or maybe to commit for the first time your life to Jesus, to following Jesus. 
Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you that you are so good and that you only want what's best for us and that you never want anything that is not good for us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would lead us, that we would follow you and that you would lead us, that you would lead us to the cross, that you would lead us to our Savior dying for us, arms stretched, praying for our forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. And Lord, if we've been there before and we've made that commitment, but we've, we've gotten relaxed, we've stopped acknowledging you in everything that we do, we've leaned on our own understanding, we've flirted with evil, we haven't trusted you, then lead us back. Lead us back to the cross. And lead us forward from the cross, Lord we help to lead others to the cross. Help us, God. Help us to do this. Help us to live this. Help us to be at the bedrock of our decision-making processes, that we would enjoy fellowship with you, that we would walk on the straight paths that you set for us because we're following you, keeping in step with your spirit, bearing fruit for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.